0: This is a Saddleback Church podcast.
1: What does it look like to love the Bible? The Bible, sixty-six books filled with chapters and verses, stories and histories, written by a number of different authors over a period around fifteen hundred years. But this book is the foundation of the Christian faith. And the Bible is read in churches around the world every weekend, right? It is read daily by millions of believers and can even be found in many a hotel drawer. But what does the loving the Bible, right, God's word, look like? And how does the history of the Bible affect how we look at it and love it today? My guest today is Dr. Susan Lim susan is a historian and writer and has a new book out titled light of the word how knowing the history of the bible illuminates our faith in our conversation we talk about what it means to love god's word how knowing the historical nature of the bible can impact how you read it today what the most compelling challenge to scripture is and how we respond to it and what it truly looks like to read the bible in faith. My name is Jason Whelan, and this is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast, part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Now, my conversation with Dr. Susan Lim. All right, Dr. Susan Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jason.
1: Great. So I'm so excited to get to talk to you today about your new book, A Light of the World, and about the history of the Bible as a whole. I wanted to start, though, with the book, because as I was reading it, what truly just jumped out at me really quickly was that this book seems to come from a very personal place for you. So it, what I've I, I just, I'm curious from your perspective, what is it that maybe you've noticed about people today, about culture or society today, that you felt called to write a book about the history of the Bible for them?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I think it was a part of my own journey. And then, like you're saying, some of the ob- observations of people around me. And I became a Christian when I was 17. And I knew that Jesus was real because he made himself so unmistakably real and clear in my heart. And then someone handed me a Bible, and then I tried to connect those two things, and I just couldn't for the longest time. And I didn't even know somewhere in my heart that I didn't quite believe everything that was written in the Bible. And how that translated into my everyday was I lacked power. I lacked the power to obey, to have joy, to abide, to tell the truth. Um, It would just be easy to, to cut corners. And in the last decade or so, I've seen so many people dear to my heart who have walked away from the faith, who have said that they were once thriving in a community or a life group or serving at church. And I'm like, how do you go from something like that to not going to church or even doubting your salvation? And I was thinking, gosh, you know, communities ebb and flow, relationships, unfortunately, come and go, but there has to be something that's forever and that has to be the word. And if we don't know for for, for certainty and for our own personal selves that this is true, then we're not going to... We're not gonna embrace it with all that we have. And I was thinking, how could that be? And I am 100% all in for as many Bible studies as we can, Mm -hmm. but if we go even beneath that level and go to maybe more of a foundational, is this historically true? Yeah, And so that's what kind of compelled me. Well,
1: I love what you're truly getting at is how do we make the Bible more of a rock in our lives how do we make it more of a, a, a foundation to to build our faith upon and i think what you were just talking about 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 your realization of your lack of power as you said and and in noticing these different truths these promises in the bible that maybe you're not seeing come out in your life and you start to question things and what you were mentioning about how you see people turn away from the faith, or start to doubt, or start to wrestle all this stuff, and it, I, I, I have seen that as well. And I think I think we've seen that, especially over the last few years, has been um, more and more of a prevalent. Um, I don't know if I don't know what the a, a issue in the church as we could say, and it, it. I think you're right to acknowledge that it it comes back that a big part of it, at least, comes back to. Well how do you view the bedrock of your our faith which is the word of God? And right. and then you start to as you talk about it as you peel back these layers it can very quickly i think come to say like hmm like i i understand what this is saying but maybe that's not true for me or i can see how that's true for other people but i, I don't know if that's true for me and when we bring into this everything that we're learning about um identity and what we're learning about attachment theory and all these different elements a lot of that comes true to what we consider as the truth of the word Is we can see like are you truly attaching to the jesus that we're reading about in the bible and his promises and you can start to question that maybe i'm maybe i'm not maybe i'm attaching to the jesus in my mind (laughs) that i think Mm -hmm. about but not the true jesus that that god has given us through scripture this clear picture this this uh, this invitation to relationship as we see and learn about Jesus through his word
0: Mm -hmm. oh that's so good absolutely and so there's no way we can really know God apart from the scriptures yeah and the reason why is because God deemed it so that he chose to reveal himself through um the son of God by Jesus and the word of God which is also Jesus and um you know if you really think about it i didn't you know think we're gonna go maybe this tangent so i'll bring it back really quickly <laughs> sure. But i'm thinking like even gravity right or yeah. you know all of these things that put like those are god's ideas and that's yeah. why they're a reality and in the same way um he deemed it that he would reveal himself through the word but how do we make that like you're saying our heart and yeah. what we attach ourselves to
1: is there something that you can maybe Maybe in all of your time teaching or being with students or just even thinking about this question, is there something that you have seen that might be in your mind causing a little bit more of this um, unanchored life, this untetheredness to the word, this this, I'm not quite sure if these promises are true or true in my life particular. Is there something that you think may be a cause of this?
0: Um, I think it might be that previous generations were better at inheriting tradition. Hmm. And so I think maybe even until, let's say, like the, I don't know, the previous generation, that tradition or this idea of what is um, orthodox was more readily embraced but i would say in like my kids are 14 and 15 oh. and um i think that this current generation they often think about like oh let's be real right let's keep it real mm. like what's my true and authentic self and i think that that's not a bad thing to ask and in a lot of ways if no one has really explained to them why they personally came to believe that the Bible is true. It's almost like a given, right, Jason, at church? Yeah. You go in and it's kind of like this like secret club, and you have to automatically assume that everyone believes in the Bible to be true. Sure. And I came from a Buddhist faith, and so I was the first to accept Christ in my family. So I didn't grow up with a lot of like Christianese, and so a lot of the terms were new. But what I did pick up on pretty quickly is when a pastor would preach and they would say the word of God or scripture, everyone would nod their heads enthusiastically mm. or clap, you know, it was like some kind of like affirmation. And I did it too, because I, I didn't want to be on the outs. Yeah. I, I know for a fact that so many people are not sure because, you know, to accept the Bible as the word of God is also a miraculous working of the spirit.
1: Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I think that's. I think that is such a great point and so important for us to keep in mind as we're thinking about not just the Bible, but about how we relate to other people, whether it's new people in the church or people who um, haven't come to faith yet, maybe people that you are praying for. Just to keep in mind where they're at and that they are in different places than you, and that's okay. And but to just to be aware, be aware of that rather than assuming everybody thinks and acts like you do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so true. Um, One of the other
1: primary kind of themes that I I noticed in, in looking through the book is this idea of having a love for God's word. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what that means. I think we hear that a lot, love God, love God's word, but what does it actually mean to love God's word? And maybe even talk about why it's important that we have a love for God's word and maybe how this idea could even change your approach to reading the Bible.
0: Yeah, um, I kept on thinking about this term called the second confession, mm-hmm. and it's a it's interwoven throughout my book. Yeah. And, you know, when we come to faith, it's what we call our salvation moment or what historically we call like the good confession, right? Mm-hmm. The great confession of our lives. And so when someone says, you know, I, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I, or I, I, you know, I said yes, you know, to to accepting Christ we know that love is intrinsically there. Um, so I don't know about you, Jason, but I can distinctly right now remember the moment that Jesus made himself real to me, and it still makes me emotional. It's almost like that moment when my husband um, proposed to me, sure. or that moment I knew that I knew he was the one for me, or you know the moment that I held my first child in my arms and I knew oh, I'm gonna be changed forever. Yeah. And we mark these milestone moments with terms like that. And I felt like we needed a term when we fell in love with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's what I called the second confession. Because the great confession is Jesus is Lord and Savior. And the second confession is Jesus is the Word. Mm-hmm. And the Word is God's Word right to us. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that that term would then imbue love where God, through the Holy Spirit, would reveal, this is my covenant to you. It's like that contract where I'm going to be with you forever. Do you know what kind of God I am? Like in Genesis, I created the world. And at chapter three, there's the fall. But even from there, I'm going to send a messiah And though, you know, the nation that I chose who was going to spread my word, they backslide and they're in the desert and they go and they get kicked out of the land and there's a promised Messiah and he comes He's so real and so true. And I want to tell you the story because it's going to be life for you. And the more you read it, you're going to have life and life abundantly. Mm -hmm. And I want you to love this word because when you meditate on it and you eat it, it's going to be better than manna. It's going to be better than coffee. (laughs) It's going to be better than anything you could imagine. And I pray that those who are listening would say, I want that. And when we have that hunger for it, then God wants to give it to us. And so that's the heart of this book that, Mm. you know, to be honest, Jason, you can skip this book, you know, you can skip, (laughs) just like go to the word. And in that place, if you feel like, Hey, you know, I'm not sure where the history comes from, then find a book like this one, you know, with etch in those things, but it's the word itself that we all need.
1: Well, and, and keeping in mind too, just the, 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 it's the true, miraculous nature that you hinted at earlier that we have the holy spirit living in us we have a part of the triune god that lives within each believer and so anytime that we are engaging with the word with the sun with the logos like with that is this connection that is a a part of this triune connection that we get to be a part of as and so I, i i just think there's something so special that we maybe take for granted even over the spiritual supernatural holy spirit driven act of illumination that we get anytime that we engage with god's word
0: that's right right it is something that um like the word it is obviously a book but it's not like it's not like a literature piece that we can master yeah living and active and it works in ways that you can't even imagine. Um, I was actually on a panel this morning and we mm. were just talking about something um about, you know, the primacy of the word. And it just reminds me, because I had just shared this a couple hours ago. Yeah. Um, when I was a little girl, I went through something pretty traumatic. Mm. And it was um it was uh not someone in my immediate family, but an abusive situation. Mm. And You know, I've been in counseling my whole life and spiritual direction, and I'm a big advocate of both. And I I have my spiritual director on my calendar even (laughs) now. But, you know, it was God's word for me that broke through. Mm. And I was reading that verse where it says it's better for you to have like a millstone tied around your neck Mm. and go into the depths of the sea, than cause one of these little ones to stumble. And I think it's that kind of moment where the word sets you free, Mm. And the word gives you the ability to have peace that does surpass what humans can concoct. And God will give us his word as we're reading it in community through others. And so, yeah, that kind of like miraculous working of his word is like none other. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I just love that idea, especially as we're starting this new year, as we're recording this, a lot of people are maybe, you know, making commitments, you know, I want to read my Bible more, or I want to try to read through my Bible in a year, or or whatever it may be. That, That encouragement to allow, you know, this Word of God to just wash over you and to just mm-hmm. pour yourself into it, and let it pour itself into you, and to just get yourself immersed within what God is doing in it. I love how you brought up again that it is a living word, and that you can't master it because that's so true. No matter is, is anytime you pick up the Bible, it, it could be today, tomorrow, a year from now, ten years from now, you are inherently a little bit of a different person than the last time you picked it up. Something mm-hmm. about you is. Different, And it, it may be a way that you know and are cognizant of or you don't know. Um, but that allows the truths of God's word to speak to you in a little bit of a different way. You can get a little bit deeper, deeper, deeper or speaks to a different part of your life. And only the Bible can do that. And that's what's so powerful.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Amen to that, Jason. Amen to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do want to dive into your book. I, I, I know you said you don't need to read the book, just go to the Bible, but we're going to talk about your book a little bit too because uh, because I'm excited to get to talk and, and for our listeners to get to hear just a little bit about um, about the history of the Bible and kind of how the history of how the Bible was formed can influence and impact our reading of it Today. So I wanted to start with the Old Testament. And I wanted to just ask you, and I'll do the same thing with the New Testament, but we'll start with the Old Testament. I wanted to ask you, what is one thing that maybe you think everybody ought to know about? the history of the old testament that would help them open their eyes to it a little bit better as people especially with the old testament a lot of people either skip it or have a hard time reading through it or maybe they just jump around to different stories they know you know they get through genesis and then i'm good or whatever it is <laughs> but but if we if we're trying to encourage people as they're diving into reading the old testament what is something about it that you think would just open their eyes to it in a new way
0: gosh that's such a good question and um I know I can go into this long lecture and start boring all your listeners so <laughs> I won't do that. You know, I do want to say one of the things that struck me again and again is how much of the ancient Near East or what we call the ANE mm-hmm. the literature that would be parallel to the times of when the Old Testament was written. Of course, the Old Testament was written over about a course of a thousand years, yeah. and so it's a long period. But let's say like the Genesis account. So even like, let's say like the flood, sure. right? Before I um, really understood the Bible, I was in a, in a freshman history class at Berkeley where I went to undergrad. Right. And my professor was talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh. Sure. And I was like, the epic of what? And <laughs> and is so I learned this guy named Gilgamesh, right? This like Akkadian Sumerian text. And I was like, he talks about the flood. I only thought it was in the Bible. <laughs> but then when I sat and thought about it, I'm like, but of course, if there is a flood, everyone would be talking about it. Yeah. And it's true, there are so many ancient Near East accounts of the flood that is very similar to what the Bible says. Like there's a divine judgment and there's going to be a flooding and then the the, the ship will end up on a mountain and all of these things. And so I would tell people who would be diving into the Bible, at the very least, or, or the Old Testament in particular, the Old Testament is an incredibly accurate historical source. Mm. And even non-Christians like my history professor or this other professor, um, his name is McNeil, who was talking about Hezekiah and Sennacherib and you know the invasion and, and and Judah falling, um, they use the Bible as a historical document. Yeah. And so I think at the very least, if the Bible is not true historically, then how can we believe it in what it says about spiritual matters? Mm. But it is, it actually fleshes out in all of these archaeological historical facts. And so I would say, believe in what the research has proven. Mm. And um, if you're unsure, go to not just commentaries. We don't have to stay within the Christian realm, but go to real, um, you know, books out there, sources on, on historical narratives during that time. Yeah and see how they actually line up with everything that the Old Testament says.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that is it, such a great point, because I think oftentimes a lot of people read through the Old Testament, and they see it as story, mm-hmm. and and it's like, okay, yes, these are great stories. Wow, all this stuff about these kings these judges you know everything this is in, this is powerful stories i can see god's lessons through there but we sometimes take for granted the historical nature of it and when you add that element in that what we're talking about is not just fable but it's history and that it's not just it's not just history that was written down but it's history that as you said continues to be proven true and true in, in as Archaeology and research continues to be done. Right. That just that adds to this power. And and as you said, if any part of the Bible is false, then it could kind of call into question other elements of the Bible too. But no God, if you can, if you can believe that God created the world and the universe and everything in it, if you can believe that God saved you, mm-hmm. then it's not a far leap to say that God has. Provided us to this day, throughout all of history, His Word, the Bible, and exactly how He wants it to be presented, and, right. and it, with its truth, with with its accuracy, with with all of these things that speak together to say, this is a God given book mm-hmm. to us, and that's and that just kind of that adds to that. Powerful nature, that importance of why we spend time in it, and our call to spend time in it every day, and why we look to it as food, as bread of life, as we look to it for guidance, as we look to it to um, spend time with God in His Word. It's just that that's just, it's such an important point to just talk about the historical nature of it that we often take for granted.
0: Absolutely, such good points. Yeah, agreed. Love it.
1: So. Okay, so and, and, and as you mentioned, I'll find a couple of, uh, of sources to put into the show notes as well. So if you're somebody who is interested in reading more about the archaeology or the history of the Bible and uh, is, uh, of specific um, Old Testament accounts, I'll put some sources in there as well so you can go into the show notes and check those out. Wanted to note that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Jumping then to the New Testament, I wanted to pose the same question to you, and and feel free to take it however you want. What is something that everybody ought to know about the history of the New Testament, then, that you think would open their eyes to it a little better?
0: Um, Well, I guess I would go back to the whole history thing. Of course, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Um, But, of course, the New Testament reveals him in incarnation in human form, and regardless of whether people um believe that jesus you know the whole trilemma lord lunatic or liar right Uh Um, we're not sure you know you're like well he could have been a historical figure okay then if that's true then what was he was he a liar or was he crazy right because he (laughs) actually says he's god so i think the same way you can't discount that jesus existed though Uh and so whether it's um tacitus who was a roman historian and governor or Suetonius, like we have so many external sources outside of the Bible that show that a a man by the name of Jesus lived and did such crazy miracles that it turned the world upside down. So I guess that's one thing just to know once again that the figures and the people that we're talking about are really real. Mm. And then um, I guess the second thing is the authors of the New Testament, they were all either apostles or apostolic associates. And so it was a very stringent process on who could author, who God would select as an author to be um, one of the New Testament writers. And so even books like Hebrews that are, is mostly thought to be anonymous. Yeah. Some people thought it was, you know, Pauline um, authorship, but we, I think most historians and and um, academics would say it's actually an anonymous source. Mm-hmm. But still in Hebrews 2, it says, you know, that the Lord announced it to those who um have seen him or heard him um that it was confirmed to us by those who heard him and so saying hey we have firsthand account of of jesus yeah and so i would say the amount of care that god put into who he selected to write these mm. um write these letters in the old in the new testament is pretty incredible but i'm um, going back to your previous point jason you know what i loved what you said was that the god of the universe is able to of course compile his word and then safeguard it and then hand it out to generations yeah. and he's done of course such a fabulous job because he's god <laughs> but on the other hand we might not like what he does because you know mm-hmm. like the whole jesus story to us is so familiar we just had christmas yeah. and so we know that you know jesus is going to come as a baby in a manger but that's not what the jews anticipated mm-hmm they wanted a military leader who was going to overthrow the romans and they certainly didn't think of this like quote quote meek messiah and so the fact that god would use like a teenager getting impregnated by the spirit in a quote scandalous way in the same way you're like you're going to use men to write on parchment later like or scrolls and then you're gonna put it together it just seems so like unscientific i don't know but (laughs) not yeah. seem like as like lock and tight as we would want. Yeah. But isn't that our God who uses humble human means to do divine work, mm. but also what remains is incredible. So um, like we can say, for example, like the amount of, copies that we have of the old and new testaments and i mean i'm not going to even start citing statistics you know we have <laughs> 650 copies of the homer's iliad versus like 5,000 copies yeah. of you know the new testament in greek and not to mention syriac and you know like coptic and i mean just the amount of accuracy in the manuscripts that have existed is pretty mind-boggling so of course god has done an incredible job in in preserving his word yeah but it takes faith to believe Mm -hmm. just like it takes faith to disbelieve and faith comes by hearing the word of god Mm. and so if we want more faith the place to go to is the word and ask him for that faith and he'll give it to us
1: Mm. i love that and uh, that call to faith in bringing us back to that place, because it's faith in a, it, 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 at the crux of faith is the relationship that you have with God is the relationship that mm-hmm. you have with Jesus. And so I, I love how that faith, it comes down to this relationship. Are you going to believe in the God that you have a relationship with that he has called you to relationship to uh, 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 Every element in your life that you are able to see His hand in, and, no, and note the providence of God in and through your life, that mm-hmm. same hand is responsible for crafting and and safeguarding, as you said, His Word. And yes, there are are parts of it that can seem, you know, either outlandish or crazy, or just it's it's a miracle that things come together. But you know what? Our God is a God of miracles, <laughs> yeah. and Amen. so, so it, it's, you know, as I said, if you can, if you can wrap your mind in claim certain things about God to be true, then it's no, not a jump at all to be able to say that that Him having His hand through the inspired Word of God is also true, and That's I, right. and I wanted to note too that if you are somebody who wants to hear all of those statistics and everything that you were just talking about. We actually have a doctrinal uh, course that we have done at Saddleback that's on video. I'm gonna put the Bible section of that course available on the show notes as well. So you can um, watch or listen to that. And, and, and that goes through a lot of those data points that Dr. Lin was just talking about. So, um, So if you wanna do that, go into the show notes and you can watch the Bible, uh, course on foundations and you can see, um, see all of those data points as well. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to acknowledge that there are plenty of people who, who, who fall into that camp of faith isn't quite enough for me yet. I, I, I struggle with, with, you know, how did this all get put to? how did things get chosen? How did things get you know like it seems it seems like there's a lot of stuff that got left out or how do we, you know just all people ask questions after questions after questions. that's been that's the history. It um shows us that there are people who will you know say, you know what i I, I don't believe it in what for whatever reason. So I wanted to put to you. What would you say has been the most compelling challenge to scripture that you have heard? And how have you thought to respond to it?
0: Mm, well, um, before I answer that question, Jason, um, I wanted to say really quickly, because as you were posing your question, it reminded me of um, Billy Graham's story. Mm, yeah, and, uh, I read about a portion of that in the in my book where Billy Graham was like, deep in ministry before he fully accepted the bible to be god's word mm. and i just want to encourage people who might be in ministry right now and uh and he was also i think the youngest college president at the time mm. and so um i worked at biola for over a decade and yeah. I, we were really lucky because you know we were under um barry, dr barry Corey's leadership mm. and he's phenomenal and he loves the Bible so much I think he's actually on the board at um, the Bible Museum in DC Uh so we don't you know but um so I'm just saying not everyone might not be like that and Billy Graham certainly wasn't and he had a good friend by the name of Chuck Templeton that I know we know a lot of people know the story and Billy Graham was wrestling and he was just asking how do I truly know this to be true and he had what he calls his tree stump confession Mm -hmm. or what I is the second Mm -hmm. confession and he knew in his heart that like the gospels or let's say Psalms, like those are more believable, but how about other parts? And he just fell on his knees and just started. He just had this moment of like surrender to God. Yeah. And like I, I believe it. I like I believe by faith. Mm. And from there the power that God unleashed on his ministry, but also, I think, in his mind, mm-hmm. to open his mind to understand the scriptures and to understand the nuances of it. And so I think there's that part, and and a part of it is by faith. Yeah. And another part is, if we can master this book, then it can't be from God, <laughs> right? Sure.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, that's very true.
0: Because we cannot, in our finite minds, know the totality of God's mind. Mm. Um, Today, I was reading in Genesis, you know, the whole part where um, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Leah first. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, in the middle of this chapter, 14 years have passed. Mm. and. You know, it's just a few verses, but, you know, like time and space is different for God than for for us. (laughs) And so I think for him, the way that God works is so mysterious beyond what we can imagine that he gave us this word so that we would know it, but not that we would conquer it. And to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to be able to. And that's why I think the Pharisees were so chastised by by Jesus, because Mm -hmm. he was saying, you took this law that was supposed to give you life, and you made it into something that was purely cerebral. And I gave you your mind to love God, but not to use that to ward it over other people. Mm -hmm. But now going back to your question, I think a lot of people might find the most compelling challenge to scripture in saying that the originals or what we call the autographs don't exist. Mm -hmm. And so they would say, hey, if, you know, all the originals or the original hasn't been preserved in any of the books, right, from Genesis to Revelation, then how could we possibly believe in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And I've heard that a lot. And when I before I started researching for this book, I would say, you're right. Like, how could we know that? (laughs) And. But the more I started thinking about this and, you know, the the research that I've done and and the statistics that I'm so grateful that Saddleback has that you'll be uploading Mm -hmm. and that I also have in my book as well, is that the amount of copies that we have that corroborate with one another in incredible detail is absolutely mind boggling. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are variations in the manuscripts but they're so tiny and that it might be like putting the in front of a name mm-hmm. or it might be a slight misspelling or it might be like what we call the movable new where instead of like you know when we say like an apple or a banana yeah it would be accidentally putting like an banana or something uh-huh. like that but like not a single doctrine has been in any way compromised by any of these quote um mistakes mm-hmm. But you know, uh, Jason, I was thinking. Let's say, like, um, like someone had like as like ten thousand pictures of them, mm-hmm. and let's say they were like ten thousand pictures of my grandmother, and then she passed, and she no longer exists, and we would call her the autograph, mm-hmm. right? But we would know through the many, many pictures, like let's say with AI, if we had to reconfigure her image in like hologram (laughs) form or whatever, we could do it because of all the different images that comport to who she is. And I would say that that's what we have in the thousands and thousands of copies of the manuscripts that Mm. corroborate with one another, that we can say without a shadow of a doubt that the original or the autographs are true to what we have today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also, when you compare it to a lot of other documents about history, especially ancient times, that we take for you know as as truth or or telling us about what happened, what's yeah. cool about the Bible is there's usually so much more documents that uh, c- corroborate the historical truths presented in the Bible than there even is what we take into account for history books and, and whatnot to, to make. So it, it's also, it's also uh, you know, I, I, there are people who create higher levels of standards for the Bible than they do and in some, in many cases, rightfully so, but the Bible usually far surpasses even those standards, <laughs> uh, which right. is, which is just uh, for us as believers, us as people who are not just advocates, but lovers of the word, like yeah. it just, it, I, I love how God thought to say, you know what? I know people are going to, you know, question the history and truth of this. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you guys just a ton of evidence to show mm-hmm. that this is historically true. But I'm always going to leave that room for doubt because, as you said, it does take faith. Faith is such a huge part of it. Um, yeah. In the same way that, you know, we don't have 100% clear sign you know god you know jesus in the flesh in our time <laughs> you know right. it takes it takes it takes that extra little helping of faith um it, it, the same is true if you're going to hold to the truth that we believe that the bible is god's inspired word. so um I, I love how it all comes together around this little bow of faith in there which is so which is really cool
0: so true so true Oh gosh, you know, I I want to just kind of start citing statistics, and I won't because (laughs) that will get kind of boring. But yeah, like like Homer's Iliad, which I had. Uh, just mentioned it's about a thousand year difference between the original composition and the first extant manuscript versus like let's say the um gospel of john Mm -hmm. like when it was written at the latter part of the first century and the first the the actual manuscript that has survived is maybe a variation of like 20 30 years Mm. it would be the difference between a thousand dollars and 20 30 dollars yeah right? If we're going to put it in financial terms, it's like, it's a lot easier to bridge like 20, $30 than a thousand dollars. And it's like that kind of divide between the time period of what we're looking at. But like you're saying, like, yeah, I can say And I don't mean to, you know, bring in any other faiths, but I know certain faiths believe like their divine book was brought by like celestial beings and golden tablets and things like that, you know, but like those kinds of things where none of the countries or the places or people have ever been fleshed out to be real versus Mm -hmm. like, Luke mentions between his gospel and, and, and acts like, like, okay, I do have this. I have it in front of me. 32 countries and 54 cities and nine islands and not a single error has been found in any of these geographical locations. Mm. And yet still it's (laughs) right. We still, you know what, Jason, at the end of the day, we need to hear God's voice for ourselves Mm. and the voice of the savior saying, that's my word. And he does that as we delve into the word. One of the things I want to do this year is memorize scripture. Mm. And so as your wonderful church is going through the New Testament, I would say maybe one of the things that maybe in small groups people can do is to say, you know, there's a verse that or a passage that we can memorize together. Mm. And God just brings that back in the most useful times. Oh, yeah and um uh, like about several years ago my husband had a seizure Mm. and um it was in the middle of the night and it woke me up from my sleep and i was so scared to go to bed for the next few weeks and i started memorizing this verse about those who keep israel or those who keep susan you Mm. know neither sleeps nor slumbers and as i was memorizing it and meditating on it this sweet little girl my daughter's friend was like mrs lim and i said yes (laughs) sweetie and she goes I'm memorizing this verse for catechism. I was wondering if I can recite it to you. And I was like, sure. And it was that verse. Oh, wow. And I just remember God using this little sweet girl to remind me, I'm with you and you can go to bed because I'll watch over you. Mm. And as I did that night, I got such good sleep. And I think it's the word that as we, you know, like, We're on our phones all the time. I'm trying so hard not to be on my phone, but at least our phones teach us that we can be obsessive over something. Mm. Let it be over the word. Mm.
1: I love it. You mentioned that, that Saddleback, um, as of this recording, we're about to start an eight week, um, initiative walking through the new Testament together. Um, and I know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people start their years with goals to spend more time in their Bible, to maybe read through the Old Testament, the whole Bible and, you know, through their year. And I just, I just wanted to offer this up to you. For anybody from Saddleback or anybody else who wants to kind of put this renewed focus on spending time in God's Word this year, what sort of encouragement would you have for them?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we're in a generation that likes to keep things fluid maybe a little bit and kind of just, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I'm all for not overtaxing ourselves or doing things that might be unnecessary. But I also believe in spiritual rhythms and disciplines. Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing to do is put it in your calendar. Mm. And for me, um, I think when I do it early in the morning, it's best. Sure. And, um, one of the most helpful books that I've read recently is the liturgy of the ordinary. I love that book. Yeah. And, um, have you read that Jason? I haven't, but
1: it's on my, it's on, it's on a number of of my lists that I have that I go through. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. It's such a good book. And I I think Warren, um, is the author and she says that in the, um, in the Hebrew tradition, the day starts in the evening at sundown. Yeah. And so I won't wake up early if I'm not gonna go to bed at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And so I try to begin my day the day before. And so like, I'm old now, so I have to go to bed at an early time. <laughs> so at like about nine, I'll start winding down and then I'll put my Bible where it's easily accessible and I'll put a cup of water next to it. I'm trying to stay hydrated. Yeah. And so I try to drink about you know 12 ounces as I'm reading the word. And mm-hmm. so I would say something practical, like do it early in the morning And um, it's true, like as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we'll watch him at everything else. I believe if we give him those like 10, 15, 20 minutes in the morning, he can shift things that will repay those minutes back in so many different ways. Um, When I was in college, Jason, I remember uh, God started putting this like thing on my heart to spend time with him in the morning. and it doesn't have to be in the morning always whenever i think your schedule works if you have like a 4 a.m job obviously that doesn't make sense but i'm just saying for the average person and um that morning i had a pretty big assignment due but god just laid it on my heart to really spend time with him and i did and then i walked into class and the whole day just kind of shifted where you know one lab got canceled and my teacher Uh gave us free time to do this and he does that now. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of the divine. He's the God of our schedules. He's the God of the of the details. Mm-hmm. And so I would say seek him first. Seek him early. Seek him early in the situation. Seek him early um, together. If he can have a partner or a group to do it together, that's great too. But for me, it's that one-on-one time with him in the morning, that's sacred, that will get me through the day.
1: I love that idea of planning your day around your needs, right? We structure our day around our meals. We need to eat. And so we structure our day around, okay, we have breakfast in the morning, we have lunch, we have dinner. We structure Mm -hmm. our day sometimes around, okay, this is the time for me to exercise, to go to the gym, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Well, your need for God's word in your life is another part that needs to be a part of of your planning. If you can Mm -hmm. plan your day around, okay, so this is my time in the word, this is breakfast time, this is, you know, and then structure everything else around it, including if you include your spiritual habits in which includes spending time in the Bible as your plan in your, in your plan, then it creates intention. It creates prioritization. And sometimes we feel like that is manufactured and we're like, ah, I'm just trying to force something. Well, Mm -hmm. but what you're getting at with the liturgy of the ordinary is that sometimes it's not, it's not manufactured. It's not fake. It's Mm priority. It's, it's showing its importance. It's, you know, adding it to your calendar is not, it's is not a bad thing. It's not like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just making it like a meeting. Well, yes, it is a meeting. It's a meeting with you and God that he wants to have with you every day. And you need to have with him. And, right. um, and it's just embracing kind of the heart behind it, that it doesn't have to be, thought of as this shallow thing that just becomes a part of the ordinary. No, like that's, it. when, when it's a part of your, of your ordinary, that's, it, it just means that it's a natural part of your life. It's become a part of your rhythm. And that just, <laughs> you know, it shows the, the importance that it has in your life. Um, yeah. so embrace that. Don't fight and say like, no, I need some experience. It needs to flow naturally it doesn't it's you know that's that's the beauty of relationship with god is that it's as it should be as natural even more natural than anything else in your life
0: right oh that's so beautifully said jason you summed that up so well and it's like you know my husband and your wife like you Mm -hmm. know we have date nights and you know like we put all of those things in our calendars right yeah and all of our relationships that are deep and worth something, like I'm in a life group or I have like a Bible, they're all on our calendar. You have to, you have to, yeah. you have to fall for it.
1: Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly right. So I, I love that encouragement. Thank you for offering that. So if you're getting started into your habit of reading the Bible, don't be afraid to schedule it, to like, you know, it's mm-hmm. uh, to, to to put it in your calendar, to set alarms, whatever you need to do Because that just helps you to build that natural rhythm, that natural flow that this is a part of me. This is a part of my day, a part of my life, as natural as it is to to schedule lunch every day around noon.
0: Amen. So good.
1: Uh, well, Susan, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. The book, once again, is Light of the World. The link to the book is on the show notes as well. I So I, I really appreciate your time and your passion and your thoughtfulness and your care and your heart for talking to people about the Bible. It just flows through you, and I'm really appreciative of that.
0: Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you, Jason. It's been an honor and so much fun. <laughs>
1: Now, let's look at some doable steps from today's episode. First, pick up your Bible and start reading. It's it's never a bad time to get started in your Bible. And you heard what Dr. Lim said. You don't even need to buy her book. Just pick up your Bible and read. <laughs> so that's the first doable step. Pick up your Bible, start reading. Second, try saying a little prayer before you open your Bible every day. A prayer... Of faith, telling God how you trust Him in His Word, and asking Him to speak to you through His Word that day. Now, third, I'm putting a number of different resources in the show notes for this episode, so I encourage you to check out Dr. Lim's book, Light of the Word. Now, I I realized in the in my conversation with Dr. Lim, I may have misspoken and said Light of the World. It's uh, The book is titled Light of the Word. Just want to get that clear. And uh, also make sure to check out Saddleback's um, Foundation's videos on the Bible. As I said, in those videos, you can find a lot of those um, statistics and data points that Dr. Lim was referring to. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Susan Lim. This has been another episode of A Doable Discipleship. We'll be back with you again next week.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at Saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.